You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. I just want to say, how's it? Aloha. Welcome to all of you guys. We're so glad that you are at church this morning, and it's no accident that you're here. Jesus wanted you to be here this morning on this Sunday to make much of him. And uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus says that God draws all men unto himself. And so you might think, oh, I got in a car. I drove here on my own, so that's why I showed up. Yes, that is true. But God's sovereign, he's over all of it, and you're supposed to be here. And so with that, we have a lot of exciting things developing as a church, but I just want to introduce myself if you're new. Uh, my name's Travis, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are so excited and glad to have every single one of you here. And we are a growing church, and we're just honored that you guys took your Sunday morning and chose it to be with us. I heard the surf is up. Is that true? Is the swell up? Yeah, okay. My local bra on the back told me it's up, so... Um, for those of you who decided to be here, it's just funny because you see like the swells come in and church attendance goes a little bit, you know, just like Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl Sundays are rough, but that's why we have messages like today to, to yell at all the guys who worship football other than Jesus, right? All the men are like, oh, I'm ready to leave right now. Well, we have some exciting things developing as a church. We are obviously a growing church. It doesn't, um, take... Uh, much of a creative person to realize that we are filling up, space is filling up in here. And so we, uh, we have some changes that are going to be coming up. With change, though, dynamics change, right? I mean, I think the best illustration to use is a family. When you are the sibling, the oldest sibling, and you have younger kids that come along that, that are being born into your family, when, you, when that happens you realize quickly that, oh, wow, the dynamics are changing. Everything isn't exactly what I thought it would be, right? Things change. And when your family grows, your budget has to change. Your cars have to change. I mean, especially right now, we have three boys, and we're grateful for the the kids that God has given us, but should God give us another kid? We're in a whole new realm of cars, right? It's like either minivans or SUVs. And you can drive a minivan, that's fine. Minivans aren't for me. I mean, no way. We're not touching it. Uh, it may, sure, you call it pride. I don't care what you call it. I don't think we will ever own a minivan. But family dynamics change. Just as family dynamics change, we need bigger cars. We need a bigger house. Our budgets change. Just as Jesus is growing this church family, we feel led, we've been praying, we've been fasting, we've been seeking Jesus, and we feel led to move beginning on November 17th, this church, from one service at 10 a.m. to two services on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Isn't that exciting? I think that's exciting. Um, There are some, I know, some of you actually have to leave early. You have to leave early and get out of church. And some of you, some of your family can't even be here because they have to go to work right after church or gets too close. And so now that we have a 9 a.m. offered and an 11 a.m., they're going to be the exact same service. So message is going to be the same. Worship is going to be the same. But we have twice the amount of seats available. Isn't that awesome? 
And we have about 240 or so seats in the house here, and so we are doubling that. And who knows what God will do. But these are the fishes and loaves that God has given us. And we're going to take our fishes and loaves and say, all right, Jesus, here you go. You multiply it. You do it. Now, some of you who serve, some of you who are involved, you might be wondering, okay, wow, um, how is this going to work out in the areas that I serve within the church? Well, you're going to be talking to your ministry leader. We're still working out all the details. That's why we're giving ourselves a few weeks to figure all of this out. It's new for us, just like it's new for you. So please be patient with us, as I'm sure you will. And in the end, though, in the end, to those of us who are like, I'm not sure, I don't know, let me, let me, just, let me just challenge you. We're not here for ourselves. We are here to make much of Jesus. That's why we're here. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, and that's why we're here. You're here to glorify God and make disciples. And by us opening up more space, we believe that that is exactly what we're going to do. So by having a 9 and 11, we're going to open that up, which means... That we're going to need those of you who, have, who are kind of praying, you're kind of on the fence, you've wanted to serve, but you haven't served because you don't want to miss out on what's happening in here in the teaching of the Word of God. Well, now is an opportunity. You can serve on a Sunday morning and go to church on so- Sunday morning in the same weekend. And so you're not missing out on either things. And so I want to push you, I want to encourage you, sign up. Grab a Connect card on the way out. Fill that out. Say where you want to serve. We have needs in cakeys, ushers and greeters, security for our cakey, uh, tech ministry, worship. Um, you know, and that's just touching the surface. We're going to need more community group leaders. So you guys get the point. I'm sure you guys get the point. So uh, continue to be praying for us. Let's continue to be praying for uh, this island that Jesus would transform and shape us into the people who he wants us to be. Well, hopefully you're in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 is where we're going to be at this morning. We are a church that studies the Word of God. So if you don't bring your Bible, next week bring your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible we have for free out um, on the way out here at the end of the service. A few months ago, my wife and I were on vacation in Southern California, and we're, we're actually on a date on our vacation because that's the awesome thing about vacation. You drop the cakey off with family, and you say, peace out. I'm leaving for a while, and that's what we did. So we're actually out on a, a breakfast date going to get some coffee, and we're leaving the area where uh, the coffee shop, going to our car, and I go open the door for my wife. She goes in, sits down, shut the door. Then we walk, or I walk around. And right as I'm about to get in the car, this dude is like, hey, you. And I'm like, okay, I must not be talking. No, hey, you, you, getting in the, the silver car. I was like, gosh, that's me, dang it. And I look, and I look up, and this guy, pretty sure, 350 pounds, easy, six foot five, like handlebar mustache, I mean like Doug Dynasty style, all right? I mean, this guy is huge, and I'm like, I'm going to die. Like, this is it. This is, love you, babe, I'm going to heaven right now. This is, it's over for me. And so, and I'm like, oh gosh, what am I going to do? And he's like, yeah, you, come here, come here. And I was like, can I, can I help you? Like, I have no idea what's about to go down. And so, um, he He's like, come here. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely. Good. So I, I, I have to submit. I mean, he's six foot. I mean, I'm, I'm it, dead or alive. Whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. So I decide, okay, I walk up to him. I look up to him like, yes, sir. Uh, what, what can I do for you? He said, I just wanted to talk to you for a second. He said, I saw you open the door for your wife. 
like, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to live, right? <laughs> He's like, I just, I just want to say, I sit here every day with my biking club. He's actually a biker in leather, the whole deal. I sit here with my biking club every day, and we watch hundreds of men every day leave this coffee shop or leave the area shopping here, climb into their car, and never open the door for your wife. I just wanted to say thank you for understanding what it means to be a man. He's like, I do that for my wife. And I was like, you have a wife? Wow. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want to meet her. I mean, he was, dude, he was a big guy. I mean, I'm telling you. I mean, I mean, she's got it. Wow. And he said, but he just went on a talk story with me. And he's like, yeah, I opened the door for my wife too. And he's like, so just want to say thanks for understanding what it means to be a man. Like, wow. Now, I'm not here talking about how awesome I am. I don't open the door for my wife many times. I'm not saying, all right, all you ladies, if your man's not opening the door, he is a sinner, he needs to repent, he's going to hell. No, no, no. <laughs> We're not saying that. You ask my wife, don't ask her. But if you ask her, she will quickly tell you, I am far from perfect. What we are going to be doing today in Titus chapter 2 is we are going to examine what it means to be a man. We are throwing back into biblical manhood. What does it mean to be a man? And you might be thinking right away, come on, this is going to be easy. Close the notebook. Don't really open the Bible up because the Bible, really, man, this is easy. Just simply opening a door, right? That's it. There you go, right? Manhood. I mean, that guy almost made manhood seem like it was so easy. You've arrived at manhood because you've opened the door for your wife. Now, that's not true because there are plenty of guys who open the doors for their wives, but fail in many other areas in life. And you ladies, I know what you're thinking, let's talk about manhood. It's not going to be that hard. Give them some food, rub their shoulders, consider it done. It's over. If you give them the remote, you'll get an extra bonus added on the side. Manhood, believe it or not, is much more complex and much more simple than all of these things. And what we want to do is press past the cigars, past the suit and tie, go beyond the golden ale, to examine beyond sports center, to look at the church Jesus wants. And in the church Jesus wants, what are the type of men Jesus wants in his church? And here in Titus, we have a very practical and very truthful layout biblically of what it means to be a man, and not just any man, but a man of God. And women, can I just give you a warning right now? This is not nudge session with your husband, okay? If you're married, I'm like, honey, hear that, hear that? Let the Holy Spirit nudge. And if you're a lady in here, be praying for the men, be praying for me, be praying for us so that we would hear what God has to say through us through Titus in this book from Paul. That we'd be sensitive to the transforming work of the power of the Holy Spirit moving in and through our lives. Because today, it's rarely talked about. In fact, for some of you, this is probably the first time you've ever sat in church and ever heard a talk, a sermon on manhood. So if you take notes, wives, don't use this as ammunition later against your husbands. The notes you take are the things you can be praying for him. And plus, it's your turn next week, all right? So don't get... (laughs) Don't get too excited here. Now, we're going to be much harder on the men than on the ladies. Um, I, I don't see Paul walking up to a lady and just chewing her out. I see him 
Paul doing that to men, for sure. You know, I don't think Paul did that to women. I think men were respectful to women. That the godly men treat women as ladies, as God's weaker vessels, but men were not, so we're not going to go light today. The two things we're going to be examining, the two things we're going to be looking at, if you're taking notes, which I hope men, if you don't take notes, start now. You take notes. Pull out your phone, take out a notepad, uh, take notes. The two things we're going to be examining is this. Why men exist, why men exist, and what men are supposed to be doing. Those are the two questions we're going to be asking ourselves as we dive into Titus chapter 2. Let us all stand for the reading of the word of God to show honor and respect and reverence. This book is a live church, so we believe it is. If you're able to stand, you stand. And we're going to start in verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love and in steadfastness. This is for next week, but we want to get the context here. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Verse 6, which is going to be a lot of our focus tonight. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you, God, as men and women humbled by your grace. We want to hear from you. Jesus, you were a man. And you want to speak to us as men this morning. And the callous that has grown over our heart, the sin that has entangled us, the misconceptions of what manhood really is, Jesus, I pray that the gospel would pierce through all of those things, that we would hear from you, that we would realize that we are sons adopted by you and that you are our father and you are a good father and you are a loving father. And you show us and you set the example of what it means to be a man. And you sympathize with us in our weaknesses. So Holy Spirit, come. Rest upon this place. We want to be men who are used by you and men who are sh- and women who are shaped by the gospel. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. I'm sick, so bear with me. I'm on meds, and I'm on, working on like a couple hours of sleep here, so it's going to be crazy. I'm just letting you know. It's all going to be... I can get away with things today that I probably normally wouldn't get away with, and I'll just blame it on my cold. So, Our focus today is going to be on verse 2, but we're going to also be looking at verse 6 through 10. And in our study in Titus, we've broken up our study through this book into three sections. If, if you want to know the, the way the three sections break up, chapter 1 
is focused on leadership. In the church, Jesus wants, because the church is owned and run by Jesus, Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. In the church, Jesus wants, he wants godly leadership. And we threw back and looked at what it meant to be a godly leader. And this week in chapter 2, what we are examining, and not just this week, but in the weeks to come, we are not, we're moving past now uh, leadership. And what we're looking at in the church Jesus wants is how are Christians to do life? How do we function as believers in community with our families as a child of God and the surroundings where God has placed us? And then what we're going to be looking at in the following weeks to come in chapter 3 is legacy. So there's, there's leadership, life, and lastly, legacy. What is the gospel wake of change and legacy we should leave behind us as people who declare to have faith in Jesus, as people who say, yeah, I love Jesus, I'm a follower of him. Well, if we are a follower of him, then there will be a wake of change. Like you see a boat cruising through glassy water, change and ripple effects Take place, and we're going to be examining and looking at later uh, this year of what it means to leave a gospel legacy. But for what we're doing now, we're looking at how does the church do life? And as we throw back into manhood, like we mentioned earlier, the first thing we need to unpack is why men exist. Now, believe it or not, women. Men exist more than just changing oil on the car and opening the stubborn peanut butter jar, okay? Now, they're helpful for that, but it's much, much bigger than that. And as simple of creatures as God has created us, our image and our identity is far more important than the simple label culture has placed upon us. We have to start in the beginning, in Genesis 1.27, where we are told that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So it's rhetorical. He says it twice. In case you didn't get it the first time, men, we were created, are created in the image and the likeness of God, which means that we are image bearers of God, that we are reflectors of his glory, a cross reference you can look at later is 1 Corinthians eleven seven, that men were created to solely glorify God. Is there anything small or insignificant about being created in the image of God? See, to downplay the image of man is to, in fact, downplay the image and the glory of God because men are called, us men, we exist to show the world the characteristics of who God is. And our lives should be reflectors of that. And men and women, we are told from Genesis 1.27, are created in the image and likeness of God. But before we go any further, we kind of have to draw a line in the sand. Men and women are different. Amen? It doesn't take a psychologist to tell us that men and women are different. And when I say men and women, what I mean is when you were born, the gender that God created you when you were born, that is the gender that God has wired you to be. Men and women. I can't believe we even have to say that today, but that's the reality. We have lots of things in common with women, us men do being created in the image of likeness of God, but we are very, very different. In my house, we have three boys. 
You can pray for my wife. There's a lot of testosterone in our house. I mean, it, it gets crazy. And one thing that um, is just so polarizing from boys compared to girls is, I mean, if you gave, which has happened before, someone gave, um, I have three boys, five and under, just to put that in context. You give them a little baby doll, they're not going to do what another, like, four-year-old girl would do with a baby doll. They're not going to pet the baby doll. They're not going to feed baby doll. They're not going to put baby doll down for a nap. You know what they do with baby doll? They grab baby doll by the heels and chuck baby doll at one another. That's what they do. In fact, I was watching YouTube videos a couple of days ago, and it was fail blog videos, and it's hilarious and awesome. My wife walks by, looks at it, like, <laughs> typical. It's your, I'm, my boys walk up, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. Boys getting hurt. Yes. But women don't get it. Now, I'm not going to polarize it too much and say, well, only men like guys wiping out and only girls like tea parties. There are men who do have a sensitive side, and there are women who also have a tomboy side, and that's cool. That's okay. That's the way God has wired many of us. But though we are equal in value to God, we are very different, and that starts with our identity and the way that we are to work out our identity and what we do. So we exist, we are purposed by God to glorify God, and what we do, though, is different than women, men. It is. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God gave Adam a job. His job was to love the wife that he was given by God, and his second job was to tend of the Garden of Eden, to take care of the earth that God had placed in front of him. And he walked with God, as you know, at the cool of the day. He talked story with God at the cool of the day, and he worked. But the work wasn't laborious work. It was joyful work. It was work that he got to do. It was work that he was wanted to do. And that's what's so awesome, is that right in the beginning, God immediately gave Adam responsibility. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, that defines manliness and masculinity is responsibility. God told Adam to take your wife, to take care of her, to love her, to cherish her, and to multiply your family and to take care of the garden. So right up front, in the beginning of creation, manliness, masculinity, is defined, men, by responsibility. But culture tells you otherwise, right? I got married at a younger age, and I can't tell you how many older men said, you don't want to take on the responsibility of being a husband? Oh, really? Why? Some guys told me, so you can go sleep around with girls, so you can go parties, you can go travel, you can go do whatever you want. And then when you're older, you take on responsibility. For real? So partying is masculine? Is this what we have boiled down manliness to, unfortunately, in culture? Yes. And that's why we need in the church to have these conversations. Manhood is defined by our responsibility. So let me ask you, do you view responsibility as a good thing or as an inconvenience? Men, if you view responsibility as an inconvenience, that immediately will begin to show where you're at in your biblical manhood. When we can repent, it's not too late. That's why we're here. I love you. All the things that I'm going to be yelling at you about is because I love you. I care for you. And I want us all to hear the truth. And depending on where you stand with responsibility will give you a good idea of how you are doing 
and biblical manhood. Men, we are created to make much of God. That's what we are created for. And when we fear God, when we follow God, when we take on the responsibility that God has placed in front of us, there's going to be fruit. And we're cultivators, men. That's what we're called to do. God told Adam to cultivate, to take care of his family, to build up the garden, to make it a beautiful place for him to live in. That's what we are called to do. Psalm 128, verse 1 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Isn't that awesome? We are created to water, to nurture, to care for, to love our wives, to to fill up our children with the word of God, to lead our families, to be good friends, all for the sake of glorifying God. All while fearing God. And guys, this is what, you guys know, this is how God has wired us. That God has wired within you and me, men, the desire to do our best at everything we do, to be cultivators. Do you think Adam was a slacker in the Garden of Eden? No, I mean, he was like, man, how nice can I trim this hedge? How can I plant these plants? What epic names can I give? Like the lion. How awesome is the name lion? Thank you, Adam, for the amazing name. Adam did everything he could to strive for excellence. And that's what many of us men do, right? We get competitive. And you women know what I'm talking about. When men get together and they start showing battle, school, battle uh, scars, like, man, look at this thing. This is when I, like, got eaten by a shark, and this thing was when a spear went through my back, and, like, oh, that's so awesome. And the girls are like, what? I don't see what's so awesome about this. This is why, men, you always have to have the newest phone. Oh, yeah, well, I got the newest phone. Yours is 16 gig. Mine's 32 gig, sucker. What? Really? No. The car has to be better, Right? Your fantasy, not even your football team, your fantasy football team has to be better. Just the name fantasy football or fantasy basketball, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know. Maybe there's some masculine part of me that, that I need to tap into that I haven't tapped into yet. But, but you get angry when your fantasy fake reality is losing. <laughs> Only men are like that because God created men to be cultivators. You and I, men, were created to build up our homes, build up our lives, build up our businesses, not for the sake of our own glory, for the glory of God. And when we do that, our wife is like a fruitful vine. Our children are like olives that sit around our table, and we are blessed because we fear the Lord. You know, it's true, guys. We are competitive. Adam was created to be fruitful and multiplied. But what happened in Genesis 3 is our first father, Adam, failed. And he failed to cultivate the way that God wanted him to. And they partook of the fruit that God told them not to. And in the process, Eve was deceived. Man sinned. An original sin entered into the world through our first father, Adam. And now every Adam who's been born after that Adam inherited the same sin that Adam introduced to the world. You and I have all inherited sin. 
And so right off the bat, the moment we're born, our manhood, our biblical manhood to glorify God has been perverted, has been wedged, has been distorted, has been knocked off the way that God wants it to be. And for the rest of our lives, we will be continuously trying to recover what God wanted in Eden until one day a new Jerusalem is set down and we dwell with the glory of God forever where he is the sun that lights up the world and we bask in his presence for all eternity. But until that day, we gotta figure this out. We gotta work hard. And that's why we're taking this time to do this. So Adam, because of sin, he did not walk in the cool of the day like God wanted him to. But because of the curse of sin, he worked by what? The sweat of his brow. It wasn't fun anymore. Not only when Adam sinned, did that affect him and his wife? You know what else it affect? affected? All of creation. Where now we're going to have to fight for things to grow. I mean, just think of the Kona coffee here and all the beetles that are ravaging our wonderful Kona coffee. It's a battle. There's thorns and thistles. We've got to work for our food. It doesn't come easy. It's not the way God originally designed it, but now because of the curse, that's the way that it worked out under the curse of sin. Now check this out. Thousands of years later, after sin has ravaged manhood, after sin has ravaged the earth itself, on the big island of Crete, sin was still spreading on the big island of Crete where Titus was pastoring over a newer church plant and the realities of sinful man was at full force, was as real as it had ever been. And Crete wasn't like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, okay? We know that. Some of you Malahinis who are here, you're visiting you're, you think, oh, this is paradise. It's so beautiful. It's all awesome. But those of us know, man, don't go down that street, right? Don't walk out at this time during the day because it's dangerous. It's sketchy. You got to watch out. There are places in paradise that aren't paradise at all. And that's how it was in Crete. Just because they're on an island didn't mean everything was perfect. Crete positionally was a hub for Europe, for Asia, and for, no, and for Africa, much like Hawaii is a hub for the South Pacific, for Asia, for North and South America. And because we are much like Crete, Crete had many people from many different regions all moving to the island because it was a great place of exports. It was a place that was exotic. It was a place of beautiful beaches. In fact, those of you who are here for our first message, it actually looked a lot like, looks like a lot like the big island. Crete still, you can visit Crete today actually. And see some of the places where Titus was believed to pastor. And in this place of Crete, because there are so many different people coming to that area, there were many imported religions and many imported belief systems. And when there is an import of false religion, there is a moral decay that happens within the fabric of culture. It's happened here. It's happened then. We understand that. We get that. And what ended up, Crete didn't just decline a little bit. It severely declined. How bad was Crete? How bad was it to be a man in Crete? Check this out. Chapter 1, verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own. Paul's like, I'm not pulling the trigger on this gun. One of their own prophets is pulling the trigger. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Wow. That's what a prophet of their own said. One of their own talking about their own. It's like, yeah, we're wicked people. It was a place known for racial pride, religious pride. There was a lot of greed and, and, and 
Greece and specifically in Crete at that time. Probably my chariot's more better than your chariot stuff, right? People arguing, going back and forth, very materialistic because they're all under the curse of sin. What men were trying to do there is build up their earthly kingdom where moth and rust destroy instead of building up uh, for themselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. They would work on their golf club swing or they would work on their fishing skills instead of working on the things that matter most. And in verse 2, what we read in Titus chapter 2 is we read, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, and love and steadfastness. So right away, Paul's like, older men are vital and important to the church. So many churches write off older men as though they're not important, but that's not the case at all. We need older men in the church because older seasoned men provide stability, strength, generosity, and a great example within the church. We need men to step up to the plate. We need older men to say, this is what it looks like to love Jesus and to run the race and to fight the good fight. And sadly, so many men wash out that there's rarely today godly men who rise to the occasion who are older who says, yeah, my life is worth following. They fought battles that we've never fought They've gone through fire we have yet to experience, and that is why us younger men, we need to come alongside these older men and to seek wisdom from them and to learn from them and to grow from them. And Paul says about these older men that they are to be sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled. Sober-minded, older men. Simply put, they should not, their favorite aisle in the grocery store should not be the liquor aisle. They shouldn't be hanging out with Jack Daniels and Bacardi too much, okay? In fact, some, maybe older men, shouldn't be hanging out with it all because it is an area of weakness. It is an area that needs to be protected. And so Paul would say, older men, stay away from it. Don't, don't indulge in it at least. He didn't say, don't have a sip of wine or beer. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, you need to be sober. Pretty good thing because... Uh, there's nothing stranger than seeing a really, really, really old drunk man. It's just true. I'm sorry. But it's, it's, and those of you who've never seen it before, God bless you. For real. I mean, that's, he says, older men are to be dignified. That word simply means honorable. Just because men are old does not necessarily bring, they don't bring dignity to the table. In fact, some men do, and praise God, we're thankful for those godly men. But I mean, I've, I've been around enough, I've hung out in the gym enough to know that some of the dirtiest talkers in the gym are men over 70 or 60 who are so perverted in their thoughts. They make a 20-year-old look like an amateur, a veteran. In fact, I've seen 20-year-olds and 60-year-old men start talking about Paris Hilton sex tape videos and stuff. It's like, for real, is that what manhood has been boiled down to? The older men are to be sober-minded. They're not to be drunk, dignified, honorable, self-controlled. I love that self-controlled simply means sane. <laughs> older men should not be insane. They should be men who aren't controlled by every impulse in his life. But everything he does as an older man, everything he does, everything he thinks, everything that he, that he prays towards is all under the submission of the leading of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, at the end of verse 2, we read that 
they are to be sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. I love that Paul is addressing this right away because Paul knows that men are stubborn already, and the older they get, they usually don't get any less stubborn. And so Paul's like, men, before you create too many habits, even older men, set your life on a trajectory to finishing well. Set your life, live your life right now. It's not a sprint, this is a marathon. We need to make it till the end. And so many don't. So many fall short. And Paul is pleading with the older men here. Stay on mission. Your life should show the gospel to others. Now we know, we know, we know that God can break the strongest willed men. Paul, who wrote this, was a pretty strong-willed guy. But God changed his will. He was willing to kill Christians, and then his will was transformed by the Holy Spirit. Older men, us younger men, need to have an example. We need to know what it looks like to love our wives, to raise up our children. Older men, we need to know the battles you fought so that we can learn from your mistakes. You need to come alongside of us and disciple us. We need your help. And this is what it means to be the body of Christ. I have many older men in my life, some who are 70s plus, who it's like, man, if you screw up, I'm getting on an airplane, I'm flying over, and I'm beating you up. <laughs> Praise God, because we need that. We desperately need that. Let's go down to verse 6. The other verses for next week, save that for later. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Before we go any further, let me just say that if you are a younger man or a man at all in this church, I just want to say I'm so thankful that you are here. Church statistics tell us that among churchgoers, 60% of churchgoers are women, 40% of churchgoers are men. And that's not bad. We, we love women, but that doesn't match the demographics of, our, of this area. So immediately, there's already a fallout. And among the men who go to church, do you know who the least churched group people are? Period. Teens to 30-year-old men. So if you are a teen to 30-year-old male in this church, you are rare and we appreciate that you are here and we are saying these things because these things won't be said to you anywhere else. Blockbuster, uh, Hollywood, music is not going to tell you how to live a biblically, godly, manly life. You're not going to find it anywhere else. But with that said, I want you guys to observe something. In Titus, and not just in Titus, but in the entire Bible, there are only three categories of being a man. The first category is child. The, first, the second category is is young men, and the third category is older men. 
Do you notice what's missing there? There is child, young men, and older men. Notice, though, there is not the 30-year-old who's living in the Ohana with mama, downloading porn, working a 30-hour dead-end job, doing nothing with his life. And some of you men are living that way, and it's disgusting. And God has called you to live a bigger life than that. And women, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at the younger men, okay? Men, step it up. The Bible doesn't even acknowledge adolescence. The Bible doesn't acknowledge this squishy middle teen years where we get, to, we get to do the Christian thing, but we get to live in the world, but we don't really take on any responsibility because we are afraid of it. The Bible doesn't give us that leverage. It doesn't. And listen, I'm so grateful for some of you young men. Some of you young men, you're serving in Keiki. You're here at the church all the time. You're treating the girls that you like or your wives godly, and we're thankful for that. But some of you are just slackers, straight up. And you need to realize that God has called you to do more than just be a slacker. We want to see an uprising of young men sold out for the gospel who are willing to not just be child, but who are willing to be young men and to grow older to be older men who would leave a legacy of gospel change. And many women and men were willing to take on responsibility. In fact, in Titus's time, did you know that when you were 12, 13, 14 years of age, You weren't playing video games, but if you could pick up a hammer, you would start swinging. You would take up a job, and you would help your family make ends meet. And there are some men in here that I respect so much, they have done that very thing. They have taken up a job as a single man to help provide for their family who's gone through a divorce and who's gone through rough seasons. Even God has called me in life in my times to, to help out some of my own family with certain things. And that is an honorable, wonderful thing. That's biblical. There is none of this squishy middle. Let's kind of flirt with and see how long we can take on our childhood into our 30s and 40s and 50s and so on. There was no living in mama's basement. When you were a kid, you played with toys. That's what you did. And when you became a man, you put the toys down for a time. I'm not saying men can't have fun. Don't hear me. I'm not out here to rain on everyone's parade. I'm not saying that. But there is a time and there is a place to stop being a baby, to stop being a child, and to step it up. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Men, you can turn there later. This verse was read to me from my father, open Bible, yelling at me as a 17-year-old boy, child. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. We're done with it. Walked away from it. And my dad gave me a challenge that I'm going to give to you right now. What childish things are in your life, men, that you need to put away? From age, from teens to 80. 
what childish things are in our life that we need to give up, that we need to put aside because it is affecting our relationship with God. It is destroying our families and our relationships, maybe even within the workplace. The problem is that we have many younger men still acting like children instead of acting like men. In fact, I'll never forget the time uh, we were living on the mainland in the northwest part of uh, Montana at the time. And in our apartment complex, it was summer because you don't ride your bikes in winter in Montana. You can't do it. You can't do anything in winter in Montana except freeze. In case you're wondering, I'm not bitter at all. I will never forget that in our, the apartment complex, there is a Christian family who lived up and over from us. And um, this husband and wife, were they loved World of Warcraft. They loved it. They loved it. They loved it. They loved it. But one day, we're letting our boys go ride out on their bikes, and their daughter, who's four, cute little four-year-old girl, is out there riding her bikes with us. And, you know, it's like 10 minutes goes by. Okay, I guess we'll watch her. You know, the parents aren't around. 15 minutes go by. Okay, I guess we'll watch her. It's like 30, 40 minutes. We're out here. This little girl's riding around. Her parents have been nowhere to be seen for 40 minutes. And sure enough, my boys, one of my boys falls. We're kind of distracted, kind of dealing with him. And a car comes flying by, and she nearly gets nailed by this car driving by. The car honks, the dude comes out yelling at the little girl, and the parents come running down at the moment, and they ask me what happened. You asking me what happened? Are you kidding me? What were you doing? Oh, we almost built this one, uh, built this one world thing and got into the next level in World of Warcraft. And your daughter almost died because of it. You idiot. I didn't say that to him. I wanted to. I really wanted to say that to him. Oh, I wanted to say that to him so bad. Christian guy. Men don't take responsibility. And when men don't, many times wives jump on board or wives will feel forced to step up and lead the family and wear the pants because men don't wear the pants. Not saying that's right, but that's what happens. There needs to be putting away of childish things, men, and taking on responsibilities. We don't just put away childish things. We take on responsibility. We be men. And hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. I'm not, there are certain circumstances that cause some men not to be able to do what God has called them to do. Okay? Uh, if, if, if there is a transitional season within your life, uh, you're moving, a job change, uh, a medical condition, some men can't do that. And I'm not talking about those men. But I'm talking about the full, able-bodied men who are able to work hard, but who would rather sit around and be a man-child. They'd rather be a lazy mama's boy, and even though they maybe left mama's home, they married wife 2.0, so they would, or they married a wife so they'd have mama 2.0. So they would just be able to sit around, be more emotional than their wives, They'd be able to sit around and make their wives provide for them because they can't even get a job so they can enjoy their video games, their beer, and their hobbies without a worry. That's what happens. And it's so, so sad. And listen, I know this has been hard. I'm surprised I'm still alive, right? I'm not a big guy. Any one of you can just come probably take me out. But here's the thing. Who's telling you men this? The world telling you this? Men, we need to be held accountable. 
I want to hold you accountable. You've heard it, and I want you to find other men who are gonna, you're going to disciple, who you're going to be part of. Even like Barry announced the men's thing. We need men to be held accountable. Those standards and culture are so low, it's pathetic. That's not the standard in the culture of the Bible. And sadly, that, since that doesn't happen in the church, no wonder men are the least likely to go in church to be part of the church, right? Some of you know many young men who are not in church even today because they know they'd rather play. They'd rather have fun. I'm not saying playing hooky isn't, you know, the swell's really good. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. But let's take on some responsibility. Guys, God loves men. He loves you. And because he loves you, he extends grace towards you. And he shows you, not through my words, not through my screaming and yelling at you, but through the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we need to change. Every single one of us men need to change. We need transformation. And listen, I know we're supposed to be moving to two services. Surprise, actually, all of you came back. Last week wasn't an easy weekend either, was it? You came back. Praise God. Next week, maybe you'll come back too. But here's the deal. We need to be challenged. The Bible doesn't leave us without hope or without a challenge. And here is the challenge. Men, do we like a challenge set before us? Yes, we do. We like a challenge. Here is your challenge, verse 6. We're not done yet. Okay, don't, 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 don't be checking out yet. We're not done. We're still going here. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, when we read younger men, when we, when we read this, what do we typically think? We think younger men, we think usually someone who's in their later teens to maybe pushing at 30s, younger men. When Paul was writing to Philemon, and Philemon verse 9, Paul, talking about older men, acknowledged himself as an older man, and most people believe that Paul was age 60 when he wrote that. So maybe according to Paul, we could probably safely conclude that according to Paul, older men are 60 and above. Now, we can argue and debate this all day long. And and then younger men are 59 and below. Now, some of you are like, wow, thank you so much for that. That's awesome. I'm still one of the young guns. Others of you are like, thanks so much. Like, really, thank you. You did not help me at all. Whatever the debate is, 59 and younger Whatever that age group is, Paul says in verse 6, to these younger men, he urges them, see this, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And if you're taking notes, that word for urge means to to call, to, to beg, to plead with, to teach. And so here is Paul telling Titus, Titus, plead with the younger men, urge them, beg them, be the man that God wants you to be. And in that, be self-controlled. He's begging them, be self-controlled. How true is that? Be self-controlled? This is 2,000 years old? This This is real. Be self-controlled. I mean, you look at men today, there's no self-control. The way they throw their bodies around with the clothes that they wear, with the way that they, they act, the words that they say, there's absolutely no self-control in younger men. And so Paul says, 
urge them, plead with them, beg them, teach them. Men, let us be men of self-control. How hard is that? It's impossible, right? Come on, man, let's be real. It's impossible. So hard, it's impossible to be men of self-control. And so God wants you to realize how impossible it is. And he does that to reveal your need for the gospel. So that you would know that your manhood is not dependent upon the way you live your life, but it is dependent upon the transforming power of the good news of Jesus Christ sent by the Holy Spirit to touch our lives. It's meant to be hard so that we would see our need for the gospel. So that we would be humbled, so that men, our pride would be crushed, so that we wouldn't turn within the strength of ourselves to try to be the men that God has called us to be, but that realizing the task that is set before us is truly impossible. We would tap into God who is bigger, God who is greater than all of us, so that we would have strength from him. And the fact that it's difficult, I believe, is a very sign that it is the thing that God wants us to do, Amen. I mean, men, let's, let's have a moment here. How hard is it just to sit down with your wife to open up the Bible? It's stinking hard, isn't it? To pray with your kids other than at mealtime is like nails on a chalkboard at times. Even if you want to do it, it's still like nails on a chalkboard. You could sit down and, and open up Motor Trend magazine, or you could sit down and read Surfer magazine and talk to your wife about what's going on in the world. But when you sit down and open the word with the word of God before your wife, before your kids, when you sit down to pray, doesn't it seem like all hell is against you? It's because it is. It absolutely is the truth that when you try to lead the way that God wants you, it is impossible for you to do what God has called you to do because Satan himself or at least his demonic forces are coming against the men because guess what? When men step up and when men be who God has called them to be, culture never recovers from that. Never. It won't. It started with 11 men in an upper room after Jesus ascended into heaven, praying, asking, seeking what God would have them to do. And those 11 men, 12, 13, debatable, however you want to go about talking about the disciples that God had called, the apostles, what God set in place with those men, 12 men, who are set apart for the gospel. Has the world ever recovered from that? No. The world has never recovered from that. We need self-control, men. We need self-control. And when men don't have self-control, if they don't divert to the man-child syndrome, what's the other syndrome they divert to? The man's man syndrome. You know what I'm talking about? The man's man syndrome? Where you call your wife dude, treat her like one of the bras, expect her to, to meet all of your needs. In fact, you can't even get down on your knees and play with your kids because... You have more important things to do, like work in the garage, take care of the things that are set in front of you, because those things you think are more important. But look at verse 7 here. Show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. 
Notice what it said here. Model, integrity, dignity is all mentioned here, but nothing is mentioned about manliness. Because manliness is not defined by what you drive. Manliness is not defined by how much you can bench press. Manliness is not defined by the gnarliest, best wave you caught. Manliness is defined by godliness. And men, we need to stop looking to this world to see where manliness, where we can glean from manliness. And we need to look to God, who is the ultimate source of masculinity itself. That is what we must do. We must be men who are set apart. Men who are more like Jesus, who are tough, who are tender. Men who are sweet, men who are strong, men who are fun, and men who are firm. And women, I hope as you're taking notes, you're writing these things down because if there's a guy who comes along in your life who doesn't have one of these things, next, not you. God's got someone better for me. Or that, or you need to come back in six months after you've repented and see some change. I wouldn't even say that, though, because then their motivation probably is to get that girl. So, next, right? I think manhood, we're running out of time here. Manhood could be summed up as givers, not takers. If we are to be like Jesus, Jesus who came to this world, in Ephesians 5.25, that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Mark 10.45 tells us that uh, Jesus speaking himself, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Men, that's what God has called us to do. Not to be takers, but to be givers. To spend our lives for our wives, to spend our lives for our children, to spend our lives for our friends, to serve in the church, to be, to be the men that God has called us to be, all for the sake of his glory. It's not about what we get, it's about what we give. It's not about what love we receive, but what love we unconditionally give to others. We are created in God's image, and it's not about how easy it is for us, but it is all about how much glory we can give to him because real men have integrity, dignity, and they model what it means to love Jesus. And so, men, if we were to be models, if we were to set the examples, let me just say this. Men, date your daughters. Take your daughters out on dates. It's like, yeah, well, they're, they're, they're married. Okay, well, they're married. You already gave their hand off, but until they're married, show your daughter what it looks like, what the standard is of dating. Men, take your boys out. If you have boys, take them out one by one. Try to do it on a weekly basis if you can. Have, I call it with my boys, daddy dude time. It's literally just my time with my bros. We sit down. We just go crazy, do stuff, make sound effects with their mouth, punch each other, wrestle, do whatever crazy thing guys do. That's what we do, daddy dude time. If you're single, if you're single, if you're single, don't. Look at that sister in Christ like a piece of meat. Look at her like she's the glory of God. And treat her with love and respect. And if you don't, I pray that other men would come up and rise up and rebuke you and let you know, Dude, you're, you're not acting the way God wants you to. You wouldn't treat your, your sister that way. Why would you treat your sister in Christ that way? We need men to step up. These men who are tough and tender. Here's a simple one. Open the door. Open the door, guys. 
Open the door. Treat her like she is a princess. Because she is. She's the one God gave you. Don't let your eyes wander. There's no window shopping's done. God gave you that person. Love her with all of your heart. Pray with your family. All right, all right. I know you guys get it. I know we're wrapping up here on time. We're supposed to be dignified, self-controlled, sober, set a good example. But in closing, how are we to be the men that God has called us to be? You can read later. We don't have time to go there. Verse 9 and 10 all talk and unpack how the gospel doesn't just permeate and infiltrate our personal lives and our family, but how the gospel even uh, infiltrates our workplace and the place where we live and the place where we, we hang out. The gospel affects all aspects of our life. We don't have time to get there, unfortunately. But turn with me in closing here to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. How are we to be the men that God has called us to be? I want you to underline this. I want you to take this to heart. This is how. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. And let all that you do be done in love. Paul's like, act like men. Be watchful. Be careful. Stand firm. Men, watch where your eyes are going. So if there is a website that you visit at a certain time at night when no one's around, be watchful. Don't go there. Surround yourself with people. Tell your wife. Confess that sin. Let them know you're being dragged away. Men, if your business always has to be perfect and it's already good, but it always has to be flawless and it's taking you away from your family, then leave the business so your family doesn't leave you. And I mean, don't quit your job. I'm saying stand firm when 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock rolls around. It's time to end it and hang out with the family. Sure, there are seasons of busyness, of craziness, times when you have to put in overtime, but don't make it a habit. Don't make it a lifestyle that your family is neglected. Stand firm. Be watchful. And those hobbies, like we said earlier, we talked about a lot of things that you're into. You guys, I'm not saying those things are wrong. Fantasy football isn't wrong. Surfing isn't wrong. But if that's what you're all about, if that's what you worship, then repent. Turn to Jesus. No one cares about the 600-pound marlin you're going to catch in heaven. You know why? Because Jonah's in heaven. Oh, yeah, you caught a 600-pound marlin? I caught a whale, and it swallowed me. You caught a 30-foot wave? Good for you, Peter. I walked on water. Jesus is like, I, I can make the waves, and I can stop the waves. No one cares. Your Xbox is going to burn. Call of Duty and you're ranking Call of Duty, is it going to matter in eternity? Stop fighting for a false reality. Start for, fight for a real reality. Put down the remote. Step up and love your wives. Cherish your wives. Take her out on date nights. Love your kids. Love your kids. Be in the word. And if you don't know where to begin, man, just be like, hey, babe, I read this thing today. It spoke to me. Can I share what, what the Bible just spoke to me? Can I, is that okay if I share it? Your wife's going to be like, what? Are you sick? Is there any alcohol around? Like, are you okay? What's happening? This is crazy. What are you doing? This is... 
Men, let us stand firm. Let us be watchful. Let us not get enticed and pulled away by these things. Act like men. Don't act like a man's, the man child. Don't act like the man man. Act like Jesus. And in closing here, what we read in Titus, in verse 10, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of the God our Savior. Everything we are to do is to adorn Jesus, men. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. And everything we should do should reflect that. We need Jesus. We need the gospel. And listen, men, I know you don't like help. I know asking for directions is the worst thing ever. But we need help from Jesus. We are all like our first father, Adam. We've inherited sin. Our, men, our, our, our masculinity has been perverted. And many of us are man-child. Many of us are men-men. And we need the gospel. We don't work at the cool of the day like Adam once did. We work by the sweat of our brow. But the good news is that there is a second Adam that stepped into this world. And, and, and John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. In John 1.14, the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the good news is that though we've inherited the sin from our first father Adam, Jesus, who is our second Adam, came and lived a life of masculinity above porn, above Above perversion, above sexual immorality, above greed, above pride, above selfishness, ultimately above sin. And he stood in our place as the man, 100% man, 100% God, took the punishment of our sin. And in exchange, God gave his wrath of our sin to him and Jesus gave us his righteousness, men. And that is the good news of the gospel. That now you don't have to tap into yourself anymore. That you can look to Jesus and you can look to him for masculinity and you can be everything that Jesus wants you to be because of the gospel. So men, you tap in, you rest, you read 1 Corinthians 15 and talk about how the gospel is continuously saving us from ourselves. Believe in Jesus, men. Repent. And when you do, and as we have, and as we will continue to do so, you guys, here's the good news. Men, there is good news. God doesn't see you as a porn addict. God doesn't see you as a pervert. God doesn't see you as someone who's greedy. God looks at you and he sees Jesus. Repent, men. Repent, turn from your ways, and turn to Jesus. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will see amazing fruit be birthed from it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. It is sharp, it hurts, it's painful, but thank you, Jesus, for recovering what it means to be a man. Thank you that you created us men for a purpose. Thank you that you've given us new life. And with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I don't want to for a minute assume that all of you men in here are doing just great. You are following Jesus the way that you should. If you are a man in here and you realize you have not been a Christian, you have lived for your own glory and you have not lived for Jesus' glory, and you want to respond to the gospel in faith, 
put your faith and trust in Jesus so that your sin would be forgiven, so that God wouldn't see you for who you are, but that he would see Jesus who has forgiven you. If that's you, raise your hand up in the air right now. Just go ahead, raise your hand up in the air right now. Unashamed, raise it up. If you're a man, if you're a woman, you can raise your hand up in the air. Just raise your hand up in the air if that's you and respond to the gospel and faith. God, for those of us who are men in here, who have sin we need to confess, who have things we need to work out with our wives, with our spouses, with, for single, with our friends, God, I pray that you would help us with that. Jesus, thank you that you demand all of our lives that you don't leave us just to ourselves so that we get a get-out-of-hell-free card, but then we kind of live and do life uh, tapping into our own strength, but you, that you help us, that you come alongside of us with the Spirit, and you help us live for your glory. We want to repent from our sin. God, I repent from my sin of being selfish. I repent from my sin, God, of living for my own glory. God, I repent, God, for having fear of man and not fearing you. God, thank you for the young men and the older men that you've brought into this church. Thank you for the wives who have come alongside and supported their men and the women who are praying for the men in this church. We pray there would be an uprising of men who are sold out for the gospel, who love you, so that we would see revival in our place in this time, on this island. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.